0: Early on, I would say that teams were really hyper-focused on the tangible benefits, cost savings, but the intangible benefits is really where we've seen teams come on board, recognizing that the impact of overall process improvement, of error reduction, of risk mitigation or avoidance, of capacity freeing up capacity of their resources and, and hours saved, There's a real benefit and success story in those kinds of benefits.
1: Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Hi, this is Vin Kumar, the host of your podcast today. And I have the wonderful pleasure of inviting Vanessa Keating. She's a senior director of the advisory practice at the Hackett Group, focused on all things digital and automation. Welcome, Vanessa.
0: Thank you, Ben, for having me.
1: So, Vanessa, you've been hosting the Smart Automation Roundtables over the last maybe almost four years, or maybe a little more than that. Can you share some comments and the origin and the evolution of these roundtables?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the very first Smart Automation Roundtable took place in 2016. And in 2017, we began to host these on a quarterly basis, really driven by client demand. These sessions are kind of an open type forum. We typically have a few topics that are top of mind and really delve into the conversation fairly organically where... The different participants will ask each other questions, share some perspective and insight, things that are going well or not going well within their own smart automation programs. So the conversation, I should say, quickly evolved from what is RPA and how do I use it to opportunities, heat map discussions, what is the optimal governance structure, what kind of investment is needed to maintain these types of programs So, it was very clear that organizations were getting smart very quickly in this field. And as we continued, we started to see a bit of a divergence from the organizations between early stage programs and those that were looking to optimize their operations, focusing on benefits, evolving to other digital solutions, looking at new applications. So, in 2019, we began to have two quarterly roundtables that would address these respective needs and a separate session to facilitate conversation around those programs that were just getting started. So that's a bit about how it began and how it quickly evolved into where it is today. We have run nearly 30 of these virtual sessions, so a pretty robust discussion has taken place and we look forward to continuing that level of uh, discussion amongst our clients and organizations. And perhaps, Vin, I could continue kind of on the evolution theme, if you will. And and can you provide some perspective of what you have seen across your clients as it relates to their governance structure or their COE setup? What have you seen change as you've been working with the organizations that you continue to interact with?
1: Vanessa, this is a great question, right? You've seen these organizations create this as a Small units where they were doing the RPA automation started off and now has expanded enterprise-wide with different organizational structures to do that. Initially, what we noticed was a particular function kind of taking, uh, getting curious on an RPA and adopting RPA for their function and slowly started expanding to provide the service to other function to become a much more robust organization within the enterprise. Where you've got a hub which is sets the governance of what sort of automation to be using, what RPA tools to use, or other types of RPA or automation tools to be using. They've also created best practices on use cases and where we should be using, which type of tools. You've also seen them kind of create an infrastructure to host these uh, solutions and monitor these solutions created educational material to make aware of uh, and evangelize this technology across the enterprise. That's kind of the responsibility of the hub, whereas the spokes have become, and usually the spokes are established in functions that have a huge, a large need for these tool sets. And they are focused predominantly on building the automations for their function and monitoring it and doing the break-fix support for their automations within their uh, spokes. So you've seen this evolve from one part of the organization becoming to an enterprise wide and the predominant operational model is the hub and spoke model, which we have seen being established. One of the things uh, what we have seen, Vanessa, as this is kind of expanded, is this whole concept of citizen developers, right? You've seen this, the tool providers kind of Speaking about it, they're coming on different commercial setups to increase adoption within organizations and making it available almost for anybody who's skilled and wants to do it, the ability to build these automations. So can you maybe shed some lights on what you've heard clients talking on your own tables on this whole concept of citizen developers?
0: Absolutely. And um, I think it's a it's a perfect segue from the COE model as the organization is starting to expand the amount of automation within their their organization, expand the capabilities, expand the level of service through their COE. They're also trying to identify ways to move faster, be more agile, get the average, business user involved and perhaps identify some resources that may not have otherwise been identified to be a part of this. And so the way that they can do that is is sort of twofold. One is the technology, this increase of low-code or no-code kind of software that allows for sort of a non-techie person, if you will, or average business user to at least kind of play with the software, become more familiar, and actually be able to to build a bot, if you will, build an an automation. And initially it may just be something that's relegated to, to their desktop, something as simple as sending out a standard email or logging their time and expense reports, right? And then increasing complexity from there. And it's of lesser cost than some other types of automation tools that the enterprise might have to acquire a license for. So one is the technologies enabling the organization to expand beyond this uh, COE model into the average business user a la a citizen developer. The citizen developer, however, should be treated almost as a dotted line resource into the COE. And I say that because we have seen a number of organizations really jump on the idea of a citizen developer become somewhat enamored at the idea of having an average business user leverage these solutions and expand the scale and scope of their automation program. But without a really good governance structure, without a level of standardization, without some protocol involved, it can really turn into the wild, wild west fairly quickly. And so teams that have a good structure in place, who have a way of providing some Oversight, some mentorship to these citizen developers, as well as a level of accountability. So perhaps it's a build one automation a quarter, for example, or. When the automation breaks, how do you plan on restoring that automation and ensuring that it continues to move forward? So that maintenance and support model, that's not necessarily something an average business user would think about as they're building this out. So it's up to the resp- the, the onus is really on the COE to make sure that they are thinking of those things. So everything from Accountability, responsibility, specific goals and metrics, and treating them almost as an extension of their quote-unquote project team is really where you're starting to see the, the organization benefit from the citizen developer model and really leverage them as a way of digitizing their operations. So it's certainly an enabler but it needs to be done with some thought and with some care, as well as also considering the agile nature of the overall premise of the program as well.
1: You know, that's a great point you bring up, Vanessa, because I think the concern some I hear is, is the control and the governance around it. And it's what you're saying is, yes, anybody can become this, uh, a citizen developer and build automations, but they are almost like an extension off the spoke or the hub that they are attached to so they can follow the governance, the best practices, and there is certain guidance that they have to adhere to uh, while they're building this automation on the, the thoroughness of the testing and the documentation. So if they, are, if they are not in the office, that the automation, somebody else can fix it if it's broken or they leave, that it, it gets in- institutionalized as part of a standard operating procedure. So yeah, that is that is really interesting and in that it is not just that everybody, it's not, they want it to become like the, the, the you hear the vendors talk about it becoming almost like the Excels of the world that everybody has and has it on desktop. But what you're saying, it's a little more governed than traditionally how you would use an Excel.
0: That's right. And I think one that should make some compliance and risk management uh, folks happy to, that we say that, but on the second piece of it is, these tools are going to expand in capability and in power. And so I think one is maybe now, and and there actually have been cases where they've brought down whole servers and systems. And so we want to make sure that that doesn't happen as this sort of enablement continues. And at the end of the day, the organization should be tracking the, the level of benefit that is being derived from these automations they could almost go on rogue and, and really do this underground and we, we we want to stay away from that. So you're absolutely right. Yeah.
1: And I know one of uh, two of my clients actually in a heavily regulated industries had that concern. They had a lot of these what they call end user computing going on and uh, the regulators came and I said that, Hey, we need to bring them in under a much more stricter governance model because they were in the regulated industry to do that. So that, but really interesting, and I think it's a caution for folks embarking on this on the citizen uh, developer.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, I did mention the tool set continues to evolve and perhaps increase in in power and in capability. But I'm just curious as to what kind of solutions or tools your clients might be exploring beyond RPA and chatbots, and what else are are your clients leveraging in the field of of automation and perhaps more broadly digital?
1: Yeah, it's a great thing, uh, Vanessa. They always say that RPA was the initiation into the business taking ownership on the automation front of their processes and their functions. And what we have seen is, you know, RPA is a great tool, but it it is not the best tool for every use case. And you have started seeing this. And what the market has evolved from a tool perspective, they have try to segregate the different type of use cases that uh, different products and tools can come in. So you've got, as you said, rightly, that there is a whole chatbot. We've got the whole smart data capture, which starts off on one end as a pure just OCR to second other end where it can take any analog input, understand what that input is and extract information and act on that information. You've got the whole gamut of virtual assistants that's there. You've seen now more of the cognitive solutions coming in. There's uh, more of orchestration, agile orchestration, process mining, micro apps. These are all kind of automation toolkit that they have to use to -to end-to-end automate a process. So you've seen these RPA center of excellences kind of evolve and keep adding more tools to their toolkit to automate. So they, before they would look at a process and look at a process and say, okay, is this, how can we use an RPA tool to automate it? Now they look at a process and say, okay, let's do a solution architect. That role has become really critical of saying, okay, which part of this process we are going to automate through using which tool? So we'll use an RPA tool. We may just use something like a Microsoft power automation tool. We may use a virtual assistant. We may use a micro app. These construct this solution for that end-to-end automation. And then this RPA team, and, and you rightly renamed this RPA roundtables to a smart automation because that's what they've become. You've seen more and more of the center of excellences have evolved from just RPA to truly smart automation. And these skills are all kind of in this sitting in the bucket of no-code and low-code kind of area. It's not the pro-code, which is when you really need to start getting IT involved and IT resources to help you. But in the no-code, low-code area, these are all the tools that we have seen them doing. And this is how it's it's going is helping companies hyper-automate their end-to-end process. That's the end goal everybody's trying to do is automate. It's built on the layers of an ERP, a point solution, and then this automation fabric which is made up of rpas and virtual assistants and micro apps and process mining these all you know the components which are being used to hyper automate an end to end process so that's kind of where you've seen this the evolution and also where it is going i feel
0: hyper automation that's that's a, a buzzword of the day if if i've heard one but i think there's a lot you've you've broken it down pretty nicely and it's much more than just a trendy trendy topic
1: yeah and and you know the other term you'll see us use is kind of this automation fabric you know you've got to, and the reason we use that it's kind of stitching right you've got all these different little solutions that you're going to do and they're going to be very specific really small but then when you all stitch it together sitting on top of your ERP point solution and this layer of automation is kind of really going and applying this whole manufacturing mindset to an end to end process we look at a transaction you see the life cycle of the transaction and you're automating as much as possible with the goal of you know companies are setting targets at 60% to even 80% of the manual work is the objective of to automate that that's kind of where we're seeing this trend going
0: yeah but stitching together paints a nice visual i think for for our listeners and and really thinking through how to use the different solutions, almost at, at different intercepts and, and different points in the process, I think that's a great visual for for folks to hone in on.
1: One of the things Vanessa had is while you know when you work with the with your roundtable members and participants, how are they approaching and quantifying the value delivered through this automation? Any any thoughts that you could share with?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and there's been a bit of an evolution on this space or this topic as well. Early on, I would say that teams were really hyper focused on the tangible benefits, cost savings, dollars taken out, FTEs removed. And that was just looking at frankly RPA. And I think there was a quick realization that we weren't going to get whole teams replaced by RPA. And it was going to require a bit more. One stitching together of other solutions, but also some actual FTE and resource ownership and accountability and responsibility over these automations. Really, these should be enabling the user or the resource to do their work more efficiently and to do other work more effectively. So, there's the tangible benefits are still something that absolutely are being captured. Uh, that could be in the line of cost savings or cost avoidance. And in some cases, it might be some resource replacement. But the intangible benefits is really where we've seen teams come on board, recognizing that the impact of overall process improvement, of error reduction, of risk mitigation or avoidance, of capacity fr- freeing up capacity of their resources and, and hours saved, There's a real benefit and success story in those kinds of benefits. There has been some ebb and flow in terms of how do we best measure those impacts. But I think the fact that teams are starting to pay attention to these intangible benefits early on, as in kind of the very beginning stages of their Automation release allows them to establish a baseline and capture a more holistic view of the value that could be delivered. And then when we look at factors like complexity of the automation so, is it interacting with your transactional system? Are you posting to the GL? Is there kind of an external type of communication that might be going out that could be sensitive? If the automations are now engaging at that level. There's certainly going to be perhaps a a higher degree or higher value of benefit derived from that. It it does become a bit trickier in terms of how do you quantify that into dollars and cents, certainly. So it it is it continues to be a bit of an evolution, a bit of a storyline. I think the next stage where we're seeing organizations focus is in particular for those groups that are providing this as a service to the enterprise, how can they? monetize the value that is being delivered. So how can they bring back that benefit into their own organization so they're not simply seen as a service or as a cost center, but are actually able to reap some of that reward of the, of the benefit that they are proving out in the automations that they are delivering to the enterprise. That's what we're seeing kind of the next wave focus on. Moving away from a pure cost center play into being able to monetize and potentially benefit from some of the automations that they are servicing or providing to the enterprise.
1: Very interesting of seeing, okay, how do we move away from just seeing it as a cost-takeout solution?
0: Yeah, and I guess kind of forward thinking as we're talking about organizations, sort of looking at the next stage, next level, what do you see or where are you seeing clients go? What kind of trends do, are you anticipating are you starting to see come out and become realized?
1: It's a continuation of, you know, you were talking with the automation fabric and where you were saying that's going to be more than just the cost. Where we see this going is in a couple of dimensions. One is the concept of measuring itself of automation, right? So you've got to say, okay, we are going to be automating, but how do you measure what you're automating, how much you're automating? And we look at it from what the trend is going to see is we're seeing it from two perspectives. One perspective is to understand the end to end life cycle of the transaction and understand what percentage of that can truly, you don't need a specialist to be looking at it or to act on the transaction lifecycle so we can understand the scope of what can be automated. And then you measure how much of that scope you're actually automating, right? So if you say that a transaction goes through 10 steps and we realize there are two steps that we have to be, experts need to be involved in the transaction processing, then we say, okay, let's look at the remaining eight steps. And we say, that's your scope of automation and we keep measuring how much of that we are going to be automating. And that's what we call the STP rate, or straight-through processing rate. And that's becoming a key measure for companies to evaluate how they're progressing on the transformation journey. The second is to also try and see okay, how many of these transactions, types of transactions are going through this process. So we're trying to see the adoption of this STP rate across all the transactions within a function. And then the second dimension, which we look at, is what is the impact of this to the organization? So today, if you look at an organization you know, servicing a particular function, it kind of follows, it looks like a pyramid where you've got a leadership team on top, you've got a middle layer of managers and uh, maybe experts, and then you've got a broader layer of folks actually processing that transaction. So as we automate more and more, that bottom layer is going to get narrow and the shape goes from a triangle to more a barrel shape organization structure. So the STP and the shape of the organization are the two leading indicators of how an organization is transforming digitally. So that's a big trend that organizations which we see will focus more on as we go forward. The second dimension is all about how we are going to make it enabling the business, right? That's all we are trying to focus on is looking at not only efficiency and effectiveness, but the whole experience of how we're going to enable the business to do what they need to do from a GNA perspective. And this automation is going to be helping them. It's not so much of what tool do I use? Do I use a single tool? I use multiple tools. In the end, they wanted it to just happen. So the ease with which we work and we are going to be leveraging more and more automations to help that and make it more easy for the business to focus on. Right. So it's just the elimination of the work itself is what we will, we will look at. So that's kind of where we are doing the trend is. And to support these two trends, you're going to see more and more tools. There's not going to be one which will consolidate across everything within a transaction lifecycle, but you'll see more of these tools coming in and this kind of automation fabric becoming the de facto way of how this gets automated. So that's kind of where we we see the trends. Any last thoughts, Vanessa, before we wrap up the podcast for today?
0: Well, I guess one final thought would be the, the last point that you made there around tools coming out and solutions coming out into the marketplace. We certainly see kind of more, more tools coming out and it becomes a bit onerous or could be a bit onerous for teams to really stay on top of that landscape. What's important? What should they be paying attention to? What comes next? So I think having individuals or a resource and an innovation team that can kind of stay on top of those trends is certainly something that, that teams should be mindful of.
1: And I think that's where your roundtable is so useful for a participant because they come to that roundtable and hear others on what tools they've, you know, discovered or they're using it. And that also helps them to keep abreast of all these because you're totally right. We see a prolific, prolification of all these different types of automation tools there and sharing and bringing these practitioners in this area and seeing what they have seen or what they have used and the efficacy of that automation is going to be tremendously benefits. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits of folks attending your quarterly smart automation roundtables. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking time today to to speak with us and sharing your observations and learnings. I know our clients love your, the the virtual roundtables and are looking to use and, and have more of these roundtables focus on technology. So again, Thank you for today and have a wonderful rest of your day.
0: Thank you, Vin. Appreciate the time. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackitgroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode or send us an email at podcast at The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at
1: www.thehackettgroup.com.